All right, well, they're getting their seats. If you would take your copy of God's Word and turn to the book of Micah, we're going to start uh, in about chapter 5. So Micah chapter 5, uh, it's, if you have a hard time finding Micah, it's one of those books that isn't real wrinkly, we told you. So uh, go to the end of all the big prophets, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Jeremiah, and then go probably four or five, six books to the right of that. They're little guys, so don't go fast. You ought to stumble upon Micah. But we're getting closer to the book of Matthew, so you could go to Matthew and hang a couple of lefts, and you could get to Micah just as easy. But uh, hopefully that helps. But now that everybody's seated, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for King Jesus who is coming. And Father, we pray that the day and the hour would come quickly. Father, we pray that as we have this next, uh, the rest of this hour together, Father, I pray that you would use me, your servant, and that you would speak through me, and I pray that you would feed your people. Father, I pray that we would behold great things from your word. And Father, I pray that we would, uh, out of the book of Micah, anticipate uh, King Jesus and his return. And Father, I also pray that we would uh, take a close look at the things that you have against the kingdom of Israel. And Lord, I pray that we would be able to apply them to our lives so that we could be found righteous and faithful when you come. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if, uh, if you're, you haven't been with us that long, I'll catch you up with what we're doing. We started in the book of Genesis chapter 1, and we're all the way into the book of Micah now. And so this has been about a, maybe a seven-month journey that we've been on, and we're going to work our way through the whole Bible. Uh, it's been a lot of fun so far, but it's going to be impossible for me to, to catch you up to, um, to put the book of Micah in its perfect context. Uh, but if you go to our website, you can find everything that we've covered so far. But just to give it a small shot, um, the Bible obviously starts in Genesis 1, and God is, is, introduces himself to us and to his people as the creator. And we talked about that if he's the creator, then he gets to make the rules. And so he has created everything in six days, and on the seventh day he rests. Uh, he puts man and woman in the garden to worship and obey him. Remember, those are the primary purposes of man, to worship and obey God. And so they're in the garden and everything's going swimmingly until the next chapter, chapter 3, man and woman sin and they're separated from God. And so in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, you read that the seed of a woman is going to crush the head of Satan. And that's the only time for the for a little while that you find that God is going to take care of the sin problem and he's going to do it through a person, the seed of a woman. And so you keep going throughout the rest of the scriptures and you get to Genesis chapter 12 and you read that through Abraham, God is going to draw the nations of the world back to himself. And so he chooses Abraham and he says, Abraham, I'm going to give you three things to do it. I'm going to give you land, seed, and a blessing. And through those three means, I'm going to draw the world back to myself. And so through the rest of the, the scriptures that we've covered so far, you finish up Genesis uh, and you have Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Joshua and all of those books are all talking about the people getting into the land that God has promised them. And that's the promised land. And so they're all getting into the land. Then you, you finish up with Joshua and you come to Judges and First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings. And now the people are in the land and they're supposed to behave in a certain way so that God can raise them up high and the nations around them can see how great God is through the way that the people conduct themselves in the land. You with me? Give me a head nod. Remember, the more head nods I get, the quicker the review is. Okay, so you're all with me. So he's going to put them in the land, and he's going to put them on display for the world to see. But they screw it all up, and they become 
these idolatrous, wicked people. And so what God does is he begins to send prophets into the land. And so he sends in Elijah, Elisha, Joel, Amos, all of these guys who we covered so far, and he tells them, repent or I'm coming and I'm going to destroy you. Well, the first three prophets that he sent, Joel, Amos, and Hosea, he sends into the northern kingdom. Remember, because of sin, the northern kingdom separated from the southern kingdom, and all of the uh, idolatry, for the most part, stayed in the northern kingdom. And for the most part, Judah was, was the godly people down south. Well, the first three prophets he sent to, uh, to Israel, they rejected him. And now they're about to be taken off to captivity. And so the book of Micah starts in Micah chapter 1. You don't have to turn there, but he's not going to address Israel as much. This is the first prophet that is prophesying only to Judah. So remember... When we covered the book of Hosea, God said, Israel, your time is up. The only hope for you is that I'm going to restore you after I destroy you. And so now the book of Micah opens, Micah 1.1. 1, 1, the word of the Lord, which came to Micah of Morasheth in the day of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. And so when he dates this book, it's only dated by a king from Judah, not a king from Israel. And so Israel's ticket has been punched, and they're through. Now, they haven't been destroyed yet. This book is going to start around 730. Now, hang on. I'm going to send some dates your way. 730 B.C., this book starts, and Israel is destroyed in 722 B.C. And so eight years after Micah begins his ministry, Israel gets destroyed. And so one of the things that Micah is going to do is going to kind of be a, hey, Judah, listen up. Look at your boys up north. Look what's happening to them. They've been destroyed just like the Lord said they would. And so that's going to give some weight to the things that Micah says. And so back to what we've covered so far. So far, our journey has mainly been focused on the land. We haven't as much talked about the seed and the blessing. And so now that Israel, idolatrous Israel is gone, we're going to kind of turn the conversation with Micah and we're going to be looking towards a day when the king is going to return and he's going to make things right. And so over in Micah chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 2. Now Micah is set up in an interesting way where Micah is set up in kind of like courtroom language. And Micah preaches essentially three sermons. I'm only going to give you one this morning. Good. Micah preaches three sermons. We're only going to talk about his last one. And it's kind of courtroom language. God brings a, an accusation against the people. And then he tells them what their judgment is going to be. And we're going to cover the latter one. But tucked in the middle of one of those accusations, he tells them that he's going to deliver the people. And he tells them how he's going to deliver them. Listen to chapter 5, verse 2. He says, but as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrath, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. And so he tells Bethlehem that there's going to come forth somebody from Bethlehem that's going to be ruler in Israel. This is a good thing. Then he says, his goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. And so this could be speech of somebody who they have the utmost respect for, who's someone who's going to be an older, experienced ruler, or it could be someone like Jesus Christ who actually is from the days of eternity. Then he says in verse 3, Therefore he will give them up until the time when she who is in labor has borne a child. Then the remainder of his brethren will return to the sons of Israel. And he, this is the hope, 
And he will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of his name of the Lord his God. And they will remain, because at that time he will be great. To the ends of the earth, this one will be our peace. And so here is hope tucked in the middle of destruction that one day, Israel, a ruler is coming who is going to rule over you, who's going to shepherd you. And when he comes, he's going to bring peace and he's going to rule not just in his own power, but in the strength of the Lord and in the majesty of the Lord, his God. And so this is hope that Israel is looking forward to. This is the first glimpse that you get that the ruler is going to be born in Bethlehem. And remember when the wise men come to Herod, Herod says, how do you know? where this king is going to be born. Well, they quote Micah chapter 5, and they say, out of Bethlehem, the king is coming. Remember this? This is Matthew chapter 2, somewhere in there. And so, all of that to say, now that we get to Micah, we're looking forward to this person is our hope, to this king is our hope. Somebody who's going to be a lofty individual who's going to rule in the strength of God. And remember, in the other prophets... He promised that he was going to restore the house of David and the line of David. You remember these promises out of Hosea and Amos that we talked about, that one day God was going to restore everything, the fallen house of David? Well, now he's giving more and more and more details. And the last principle, now this has all kind of been an academic setting. I know that some of you guys get get bored with this, but hang on one more minute. God told Abraham that he was going to give him land, seed, and a blessing. Now, the first part of this book all dealt with the land because the land is what was imminent. That's what they needed to know. You ever heard, anybody ever told you that you're on a need-to-know basis? Anybody ever told you that? Well, they should have. Y'all have been a lot more patient with me sometimes. Listen, sometimes you're on a need-to-know basis. You know what you need to know for right now. In a military setting, usually you only get briefed about 45, excuse me, 48 hours maybe in advance. That's all you know as a member of the military because they're not going to tell you too much information because you'll mess it all up and you might not want to go and do it. If you knew the big plan, you might not get into it in the first place, but they're going to tell you at most what you've got to do for the next two days. The, the other benefit to that is that if you get captured and you squeal, you only have two days worth of information. But anyways, God is going to tell them what they need to know. And so he's told them everything that they need to know to get into the land. Now that they've gotten into the land and they've messed it up, he's going to tell them more about the seed or the person who's going to deliver them. And that's excitement. And so we'll, as we go through the rest of the prophets, more and more about this redeemer will be revealed. So now we get on to chapter 6. Micah chapter 6. This is the last of the sermons that, uh, excuse me, this is the last of the kind of courtroom settings that God gives the people. And we're going to spend the rest of our time in Micah 6 and 7. Micah chapter 6 verse 1. Hear now what the Lord is saying. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. You hear this courtroom language? Listen, you mountains, to the indictment of the Lord, and you enduring foundations of the earth. Because the Lord has a case against his people, even with Israel, he will dispute. So he's bringing a case against his people, Israel, much like a lawyer would do. So uh, God would be the uh, accuser and Israel would be the defendant. My people, verse 3, what have I done to you and how have I wearied you? Answer me. Indeed, I brought you up from the land of Egypt and ransomed you from the house of slavery. And I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. My people, remember now 
what Balak, king of Moab, counseled. Uh, Balak, king of Moab, wanted a curse to be put on Israel. And then he says, And what Balaam, son of Beor, answered him, And from Siddim to Gilgal, in order that you might know the righteous acts of the Lord. And so, if you remember, you've got to do some thinking. You've got to remember back to Micah's contemporaries, Joel, Amos, and Hosea. What was God's accusation against the people? One of his main accusations that they had forgotten the Lord. And they were living their lives the way they wanted to live them. And he says... Remember, he says, verse five, my people remember now. And so he tries to push them back for them to remember who he is and what he's done for them. And he also in verse three, he says, what have I done and how have I wearied you? Answer me. And so he wants them to remember when he brought them out of slavery in Egypt, the people now are complaining about how weary they are from following the Lord and all of the Lord's rules and all of these other things. And he wants them to remember that he took them out of Egypt and he gave them houses to live on for which they didn't work. He gave them fields to tend which they didn't plant. And he wants them to remember all of the things that he did for them. And then Israel says this in verse 6. With what shall I come to the Lord and bow myself before the God on high? Shall I come to him with burnt offerings, with yearling calves? Does the Lord take delight in thousands of rams and ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I present my firstborn for the rebellious acts, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? And so now Israel says, okay, God, we have offended you and you want us to repent and turn to you. God, how do we turn to you? Do you want 10,000 calves? Do you want all of these oxen? Do you want 10,000 rivers of oil? What do you want? How can I come to you and make up for everything I've done wrong? Do you want my firstborn child? And then he says in verse 8, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Remember when we read the book of Amos, when the people said, God, what do we do? How do we come to you? Do we come to you with burnt offerings? And what does he say in Amos? He says, no, the Lord doesn't delight in burnt offerings. I want loyalty. I don't want sacrifices. I want you to walk with me and be mine. And now they say, do you want the very fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? And he says, no, I want you to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with me. And so when you come to God and you say, God, what do, what do you want of me? And God says, I don't want anything of you. I want you. That's what I want don't want you to keep doing all of these things that are hollow and empty, but I want you. You get the difference there? I want you to be mine. I don't want your firstborn son. I don't want all these burnt offerings. I don't want all of those things. I want you. Now, you don't look around and don't elbow anybody, but how would the church be different if people stopped doing things for the Lord and they just were the Lord's? Ever give any thought to that? When our family was looking for a dog, we just got a dog about eight months ago. My only, I used to think when I was a couple years ago that, I, oh, it would be cool to have a dog that can catch a frisbee and all this other stuff. Well, we, we've been through all that. And now this time when I picked out a dog, I wanted a dog that when I called him, he would come to me. 
I didn't want to go out in the front yard anymore, call the dog, and him just run as far as he could away from me. I wanted a loyal dog, right? That's all I wanted. I just want you, when I come home from work, I want you to, to be there and not run away. That's what I want. And God says, I want from you. I don't care about how many Frisbees you can catch. I don't care about how much money you give. I don't care about all of these things. I want you to be mine. Now that entails much, much more. But that's where you start. It's a matter of your heart that you belong to God. And whatever he asks of you, you're going to do. Not a bunch of hollow things that we can do and offer him. So here we go. Let's keep going. Now, this is God's second indictment on Micah. The voice of the Lord, this is Micah chapter 6 verse 9. The voice of the Lord will call to the city and sound, and it is, it is sound wisdom to fear your name. Hear, O tribe, who has appointed its time? Is there yet a man in the wicked house along with treasures of wickedness? In a short measure that is cursed, can I justify wicked scales and a bag of deceptive weights? For the rich men of the city are full of violence. Her residents speak lies and their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. And so he's bringing about them all of these charges. Remember back to Amos, all of the social injustices that were going on in the world, how the rich were oppressing the poor. Here he says, there's wicked men in all the houses in a short measure. This is verse 10. In a short measure that is cursed. Can I justify wicked scales, verse 11, and deceptive weights? And so what's going on here is that the money changers and the people are using a different measuring system. They're calling, uh, they're calling 10 ounces a pound, rather than what a pound actually is. And so when they put their weights that are supposed to be good on a scale, everything's coming out crooked to the advantage of the rich. When they go to measure things, when they go to sell an acre of land, their string that's an acre long is actually shorter. And so they're, they're ripping everybody off. And this is all sorts of social injustice that God is calling about. And so then he says, verse 13, so also I will make you sick. Striking you down, desolating you because of your sins. You will eat, but you will not be satisfied, and your vileness will be in your midst. You will try to remove for safekeeping, but you will not preserve anything. And what you do preserve, I will give to the sword. Verse 15, you will sow, but you will not reap. You will tread the olive, but you will not anoint yourself with oil. And the grapes, but you will not drink wine. The statues of Omri and all the works of the house of Ahab are observed. And in their devices you walk. Therefore, I will give you up for destruction and your inhabitants for derision. And you will bear the reproach of my people. And so if you remember, part of the covenant that the people entered into with Moses, part of the Mosaic covenant is that they were going to be God's people and he was going to be their God. There was this kind of the if then, if you obey me. I'll bless you if you curse, if you disobey me, I'll curse you. And so this is the way that God is going to be made famous through the world. And so the people are going to obey and God's going to richly bless them. And the world is going to see how great God is. Or the people are going to disobey and he's going to curse them. And the people that are in the world are going to see God disciplining his people. And so God is is getting ready to discipline his people. And then Israel replies in chapter 7 verse 1. This is Micah's reply on behalf of the people. Woe is me, for I am like the fruit pickers, like the grape gatherers. There is not a cluster of grapes to eat or the first fig which I crave. The godly person has perished from the land, and there is no upright person among men. All of them lie and wait for bloodshed. Each of them hurts the other with a net. 
Concerning evil, both hands do it well. The prince asks for the, excuse me, the prince asks also the judge for a bribe, and the great man speaks the desire of his soul. So they weave it together. The best of them is like a briar, the most upright like a thorn hedge. The day when you post your watchmen, your punishment will come. Then their confusion will occur. Do not trust in a neighbor. Do not have confidence in a friend. From her who lies in your bosom, guard your lips. For a father, excuse me, for son treats father contemptuously. Daughter rises up against her mother. Daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own household. And so Israel replies with this seemingly repentant language. And they say, you're right. Everybody amongst us is wicked, from the king to the pauper. The judges are all crooked. Everything around us is bad. But listen to what Micah says. And this is the hope in the midst of them being condemned. But as for me, I will watch expectantly for the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Do not rejoice over me, O my enemy. Though I fall, I will rise. Though I dwell in darkness, the Lord is a light for me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my case and executes justice for me. He will bring me out to the light and I will see his righteousness. Then my enemy will see and shame will cover her. He who said, where is the Lord your God? My eyes will look on her. At that time, she will be trampled down like mire in the streets. And so here you have Israel with a seemingly repentant language, but they realize that they're still going to be destroyed, but their hope is in the Lord. The Lord now is coming against them as a prosecuting attorney, but after he judges them, He's going to turn and he's no longer going to prosecute them anymore, but he's going to go on their defense that after they bear the indignation of the Lord because they've sinned, then in the middle of verse nine, until he pleads my case and executes justice for me, he will bring me out to the light and I will see his righteousness. Then my enemy will see and shame will cover her who said to me, where is the Lord your God? And so here you have God not just acting as the prosecuting attorney, but he's going to prosecute them because he has to. He is obligated to because of the promises that he made, but he is going to redeem them. And then he's not only going to redeem them, but he's going to defend them against other people. Now you have the same thing going for you. You have Christ who is either going to be your prosecuting attorney when you die or he's going to be your defense attorney when you die. You see, when you step over into eternity, he is either going to come to your side and he's going to be at your defense and his blood is going to cover you for all of your sin or he's going to measure you against his law and you're going to be found wanting. You see, all throughout Micah and all throughout these prophets, he's measuring them on the old covenant law. Remember? All the blessings and the curses, if you do this, then I'll do this. That's the measuring line, the old covenant. You are going to be judged according to a law also. And if you only took the Ten Commandments, your life would be still found wanting. So if you were only judged on lying, cheating, or excuse me, let's just stick with the Ten Commandments. Lying and stealing and adultery, where would you be found? Would you be a lying, stealing adulterer? The reality is if you've done any of those things... And that's what you're going to be labeled when he judges you. And you're either going to be found innocent or you're going to be found guilty. And listen, brothers and sisters, when you die, 
You want Christ to be on your defense as opposed to the one prosecuting you. Because when he prosecutes, it is not just going to be for a little while. It's going to be for all of eternity. And the good news is, is that those who watch expectantly for the Lord, who wait for the God of salvation, he hears you and he answers you. And so for those of us who will call out to the Lord, who will put our faith in Jesus Christ and the forgiveness that he offers us on the sin, the forgiveness that he offers us of sins and that he rose from the dead, we will be saved. And you don't want Christ to be on the offense against you. Now listen to this at the end. This is Micah chapter 7 verse 11. And so after that, after he waits for the Lord and after he's seeking the God of salvation, after God disciplines them, then he says in verse 11, then it will be a day for building your walls. On that day, your boundary will be extended. It will be a day when they come to you from Assyria and the cities of Egypt, from Egypt, even to the Euphrates, even from the sea to sea and mountain to mountain. And the earth will become desolate because of her inhabitants on account of the fruit of her deeds. Listen to this, verse 14. Shepherd your people with your scepter, the flock of your possession which dwells by itself in the woodland, in the midst of a fruitful field. Let them feed in Bashan and Gilead. Those are two fertile places. As in the days of old, as in the days when you came out from the land of Egypt, I will show you miracles. Nations will see and be ashamed of all their might. They will put their hand on their mouth. Their ears will be deaf. They will lick the dust like a serpent, like reptiles of the earth. They will come trembling out of their fortress. To the Lord our God, they will come in dread, and they will be afraid before you. Who is a God like you who pardons iniquity and passes over the rebellious acts of the remnant of his possession? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in unchanging love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Yes, you will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. You will give truth to Jacob and unchanging love to Abraham, which you swore to our forefathers from the days of old. So these people in Micah's day are living in disobedience to the commands of God. And they're about to be judged. But here, after God tells them their offense, Micah says that we need to wait expectantly for the Lord. We need to uh, wait for the God of our salvation. And then when we do, when we do all of these things, God comes and he is going to, in the millennial kingdom, be the shepherd of a people And one day, he's coming back. You guys got to forgive me. I can't keep my train of thought with these blasted gnats. Maybe it's not bothering you guys. Maybe I'm the center in the midst. I don't know. Uh, But here we go. These are those old covenant curses, the the gnats and all those things, the plagues. Anyways, they have been all over me. Forgive me. Anyways, after God indicts them, he comes to them and he tells them that there's coming a day when he's going to shepherd the people and he is going to restore them and all of the nations around them, verse 16, are going to see and be ashamed. So despite what God is going to do, despite him getting ready to destroy Judah, you need to hold fast to your faith 
and stand firm, still believing that God is going to keep his promises. And then interestingly enough, at the very end of the book, he goes back and he says, you will give truth to Jacob. This is verse 20 and unchanging love to Abraham, which you swore to our forefathers from the days of old. Listen, for your encouragement, just like Israel, who had bad things on the horizon, who in the world knows where this world is going? Nobody has any idea where things are going. And things look more and more detrimental as time goes on. But you and I need to hold fast. And we need to wait and watch expectantly for the Lord. Wait for the God of salvation. And then we need to wait until he pleads our case. And brothers and sisters, that is what we need to keep our hope in, not in all of these trivial things around us. Listen, everything that you've worked so hard for, you can lose in a second. But you need to be encouraged that if you have given your life to Jesus Christ and he has saved you of your sins, that one day he is coming back and he will plead your case to God. And so when everything is gone and everything is said and done with and you stand before the Lord, Jesus, the good shepherd, is going to plead your case for you and you will be found innocent and righteous because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? Hopefully that made a little bit of sense despite all the gnats killing me this morning. And so be encouraged, brothers and sisters, that even though you have no idea what God is up to, he has a plan and his promises hundreds of years before that he made to Abraham, these people are still hanging on to. And you and I have got rock hard promises from God that we can hang on to as well. So these prophets that we've been going through should be encouraging to you just to see that God is patient, he's long-suffering, and he keeps every single one of his promises. And those who call upon his name in the end are saved. Good story out of the book of the prophets. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the message that you gave through Micah. Father, I thank you that you have given us a standard to keep. And Father, I pray that we would be found faithful. I pray that we would never seek to please you only by random acts of sacrifice and random offerings. But, Father, I pray that we would do as you say and seek justice and love mercy and walk humbly with you. Father, I pray that we would not just be people who do things for you, but I pray that we would be your people who do good things. And, Father, I pray that as we move forward, that your Holy Spirit would continue to convict us that your Holy Spirit would continue to lead us. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. If you would stand for a hymn of invitation. Just for the record, I saw the Nats bother and Jonathan as well. And <laughs> yeah. so both of your leaders are in hot water. But, uh, and for the record, Blunt's laughing at me. They were in his Sunday school class too. Anyways, it's hard to, hard to finish without blowing into the microphone trying to blow them all off of me. But man, they won't get out of my ears or anything. Listen, the prophets, uh, seem difficult to go through sometimes. Uh, repent, 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 repent. I'm coming to destroy you. I'm coming to destroy you. I'm coming to destroy you. Listen, that message gets old sometimes. And I'm sure by the time we get to Micah, some of you guys get weary and you think, boy, I'm ready for something else. We got to get to something else. But listen, you should be encouraged that Christ, or excuse me, that God is long suffering and he's slow to anger and that he doesn't just take us out like that. Listen, if that was the case, I wouldn't be here now. He'd have taken uh, my young 
dumb self out a long time ago. But he is long-suffering and he's patient with us, getting us to where he wants us to be. And so next week, we'll get into the book of Isaiah. Just kind of start reading through Isaiah. We'll cover maybe about half the book. We're not going to try to bite the whole thing at once. Uh, but you're going to get more and more and more information about this coming king. And there'll also be a little bit, there'll be a few stories along the way, some, some history-type stories to keep you engaged. But uh, be encouraged as you go throughout your week that God doesn't just strike us down, but he gives person after person after person to draw us to repentance. And so if you've got something going on in your life and people keep telling you, get with the program, get with the program, get with the program, uh, get with the program because it only lasts but so long. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. As we close, Brother Jack Powell, would you close us in prayer?